all those by way of television here to all of it, United Methodist Church. We have Sunday School, one of the few churches that have Sunday School hour before at 9.45 to 10.45. And then we begin shortly after Bible study between 10.45 and 10 o'clock every Sunday morning. We also have Bible studies for Zoom. If you'd like to Zoom in on us on Wednesdays, that's Wednesday evenings at at 6 to 7. So we want to welcome those by television, by radio, iPod, Facebook, those who reach out to us as we reach out to you. We consider it a great privilege to be one of the last remaining churches to have a televised ministry that we can get into the homes of those who are in nursing homes and in prisons and by radio and television. I just spoke with one of our eldest members, one of our eldest members of our church. She's pushing like a hundred and some years old. She's a Navy vet, a lieutenant, and she's coming dealing with end-of-life issues. She barely talk on the phone. Had a large conversation, long conversation with her son Tom, Ethel, and Ethel sends her love and greetings. We have a card at the back of the church. Write that card. Also, the address is there if you'd want to send a separate card out to Ethel. At this time, we're going to be opening with a word of prayer in, in our bulletin. Some of you have bulletins that you'd like to receive by, by mail. We try to get the bulletins done as soon as we get information in so that we can get that bulletin in your hands by Friday, Saturday, so you can kind of join us in reading the bulletin in the scripture. Our scripture is taken from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25, and we've been dealing with these passages of scripture here for about a month, and we're going to be kind of jumping into John here and some of the pericope, the eyes and the ears and the sight of Jesus during that 40-day period, because we are in that 40-day a period of Lent right now, too, and getting closer to the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, we want to welcome those by way of television to all the United Methodist Church here in lovely Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you can't worship with us, the next best thing is to listen to us by way of television or radio or iPod or Facebook. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning as we deal with scripture from Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 through 25. We want to thank all those who make it possible for us to go by way of television and radio and iPod and Facebook. We just praise you, Father, for the opportunity and the privilege to come into the homes of those families that are unable to come out and in worship. And especially this morning, we remember those who are shut-ins and those who are hospitalized, those who are in nursing homes. Ethel, who was such a faithful member and such a heavy contributing financial giver to our church and as she's dealing with end of life end of life issues and 100 years old and served God and country as a lieutenant nurse in the navy we just thank you for her service to God and country and her faithfulness to all of it united methodist church may we be faithful in our prayers to her her address is at the back of the church for those who would like to Send individual letters to her, letters of encouragement to her, her sons and daughters. And we, we pray, Father, that as we come to worship, that we would seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. We thank you, Lord, for our scripture today, Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 
25 and, and what scripture means to us and what we pray that scripture means to those who are listening to us this morning. We asked from the start to the finish of this day that you, we would be faithful, found faithful in our service to you. Bless the time of fellowship afterwards as we partake in, in a meal and as we and we pray that you'd bless this movie, the tribulation that reminds us about a, a scriptural view of the second coming of Jesus Christ and the preparation that we all need to be a part of. Bless this day and, and the days ahead that you've called us individually and, and help us to be found faithful. Help us to realize that the things that happen to us that are positive are not coincidental. They're from your hand, Lord. We pray, Father, that we may be found faithful and true in Jesus' name. As Kurt comes and shares with Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25, and Mike is stationed, we, we give the acknowledgement to you as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We try to move things as fast as possible to make sure that everybody is in place. We value your time as you value our time with you. Greetings, loved ones. We are all loved by God. Nicely said. I'd repeat that, but I'd probably flub it, so I'll, I'll, let, I'll let that be yours. Oh, I feel like I'm back in Sunday school. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Let us prepare our hearts for the reading of the gospel. I pray we are open and worthy enough servants through Jesus to receive this godly attention bestowed upon each of us. I'm going to be reading from this version, which may be different by those who are here, radio, and even in this sanctuary, the words may be different. The meaning, I think, is the same. And it's Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, Now, when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and dwelt in Capernaum, by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. That was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Zappali, toward the sea, across the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, 
follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went all about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every infirmity among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, demonics, epileptics, and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea from beyond the Jordan. That ends the reading. I'm going to share something from Micah. It's just something I'm led to do right now. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, I did my lesson around Matthew 12, verses 12 through 24. Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested and thrown in prison. So he went to Galilee. Now Galilee was ruled by the same Herod that had John the Baptist killed. Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem because they had really become hostile towards him. Verse 12 and 13 says he went by the sea. I think Jesus was probably filling the baptizing hole that John the Baptist left upon his demise. He's probably, Jesus was probably baptizing on the way. Jesus and his disciples went to Galilee and then continued to Capernaum. Capernaum was a Gentile town and became the center of the Lord's ministry. And this action also fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy that he spoke of in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Here he prophesied that Gentiles would see a great light. Again, more than likely, Jesus was filling the baptizing role that the absence of John the Baptist created. Capernaum was a good move because back in his hometown, Jesus had received some hostility. And the disciples, furthermore, the disciples were not strangers to Capernaum. Matthew had lived there, and Peter owned a house there in Capernaum. Besides it being a Gentile town, it's kind of odd or I know, interesting, I guess, is a good word for it, that Capernaum, the city, is not mentioned in any of the other Gospels. What makes it even more odd is that Jesus Christ centered his ministry in Capernaum. This, I guess, we can think of as unofficially the beginning of the Lord's ministry. In verse 17, Jesus preached the same as John had. He, he preached that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He sent kingdom of heaven instead of God because the Jewish people then never mentioned God by name. 
it would have been proper for us to hear kingdom of heaven is at hand, but not for them. Jesus replaced speaking the kingdom of God by saying kingdom of heaven. As Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he came into contact with fishermen named Peter and Andrew. The Lord said to them, he would make them fishers of men. So they joined him immediately without any hesitation. By doing so, they left their father alone in the boat. This is counter-cultural, I guess you could say, because back then, leaving a parent or parents unannounced for any reason was kind of culturally forbidden. So leaving their father to follow Jesus was really a bold move. In verse 23, we read that Jesus preached. The interesting thing about this is that the Greek word the Bible used for preach is actually translated proclamation from a king. Jesus was, of course, a king. In our final verse, 24, it highlights the ministry and absolute deity Jesus had over all of his creation. It says that he healed all kinds of sickness and disease, and he even cast out demons. This was actually the first mention of demon possession in the New Testament. It's possible and likely that God had allowed these demons to inhabit these people to show the power and majesty of the Lord Jesus over, over them. It also kind of went against the Sadducees because they preached and did not believe. They preached against any spiritual beings like demons or angels. So they were sad, you see. They didn't believe it. I'm trying to be punny there. <laughs> After his display of his regal deity and authority over everything, many followed Jesus Christ. Thanks, Boone and Mike. As many of you realize, the greatest opposition that Jesus had was from the religious people. The two factions of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and primarily from the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees believed, much like the traditional church, but the Sadducees' beliefs were doctrinally, but they didn't believe in the resurrection. They were kind of almost Jeffersonian that we would call and kind of the progressives of our day, that they believed basically in the the morality of Jesus, but not his divinity. And I really believe that's why they were sad, called Sadducees, because they were sad, you see? And I think Mike was trying to emphasize that point. You know, I can't imagine following all the rules and regulations and pro proclamations and disciplines of the Bible, as the Pharisees did and the Sadducees did, but the great separator of the two was that the Sadducees believed in that eth ethical um, Jeffersonian, Je Jefferson, as far as we know, believed in, in all of the teachings of Christ. In fact, he had a Bible that was written and took all the miracles out of the Bible and all the resurrection stories. And, and what was left was just a, kind of a skeleton of of the Bible because you take the divine things out of the Bible and just the historic human things out of the Bible, you miss the emphasis of 
immortality. This Bible that we live in is basically moral, um, mortal, and it's basically perishing. But we have a soul, we have a spirit that's immoral, that's imperishable. That's why we can say, as Rabbi would say, if he was here today, he's leaping and jumping and praising the Lord and, and, and Lee Gross and so many others that have gone on before us. And I think of Bill and the, those that were just wonders of faith. And I can't tell you how many times I've run into people that, that knew J. Samuel Smith because of you know, the fact that he was from Liberia and a, uh, actually an ambassador from Liberia to, to, it was Egypt, wasn't it? Yes, right, Egypt. Again, you know, those are basically freebies this morning. Also, just that some of you may feel the heat of these pages. Um, we just copied this and trying to bring you a abreast with the conservative Methodist plan to form their own church. You may study that. We'll kind of keep you tuned in on that. Last last Sunday, we kind of ended with the, the emphasis, and I, I I try to roll things as quickly as possible. If you're going to um, give an announcement or so, make sure you're at the mic and have notified me ahead of time so we kind of have no downtime. That's about the only criticism we receive by way of television is that interludes or any spaces people you know I don't know we've turned into kind of a micro micro um, wave faith and and if there's just a, a commercial or if there's a pause people um ship change channels and we don't want you to change channels we want to just occupy the time time is important to us and we know it's important to you we want to thank you for the time that you give us and every prayer that we say and every scripture that we read and every um, word of commentary around the Bible, we want to make sure that it's very important. I don't like any jesting. Sometimes I'll make some remarks of encouragement because I sense that people are maybe fading out a little bit on me, and I, I just want to kind of reactivate. And that's why periodically I'll have you stand because some of you have been sitting for for a while, and I, I'd like you to stand now, if you would, with me, and let's have a word of prayer. Father, we just want to stand on your promises this morning, and help us to be very alert and alive to the days and the times that we live in. We need to be real discerners as we see the world falling apart. In reality, it's falling into place, and as the movie following the church service will demonstrate the tribulation period and in an artist's view of a scriptural background of what it would be like when the Christians are taken, raptured, with a blessed hope. That one out of 16 verses in the Bible has to deal with the second coming of Jesus Christ. More about his second coming than his first coming. And we just pray that just as so many were not ready for his first coming, especially the, the religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees weren't ready. It was, it was the wise men and women, it was the shepherds that, that went to see the birth of Christ. Help us to be prepared and help us not to believe in all the fake news that's being given to us, but help us to believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're standing on those promises today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you. You may be seated. I want to um, start a little bit about how I ended about the sympathy. Sometimes people, by way of television, will miss a telecast, and, and it seems like the one that they miss is the one that they're going to request for me to touch on. And I'll, so many times I'll say, weren't you tuned in last week or on so-and-so Sunday, because that's what I spoke on. And they said, oh, no, that's, that's the Sunday, um, uh, you know, um, we had a Monday night event, and we missed you on Monday night, or we missed you on Tuesday morning. And, and I think, you know, there's principalities and powers and forces that are at work to try to keep us away from a particular Sunday or, you know, telecast that really would minister to us and be the meat and the milk of nourishing us and putting us back on, on track with God. So we ended last week about the sympathy of Jesus, and that, that is one of the final truths that I spoke on. Um, and it, it, is, it should be especially very dear and near to ourselves as, as believers in Jesus Christ. And I, I know there are some, and because I hear you call me and you let me know, you're, and you're honest with me. And I appreciate honesty and, and how so many non-believers can tune in. And, if, you know, right even in this neighborhood, they, you know, they... They have come to our ice cream socials, and they said, you know, I don't necessarily believe in the Bible. I don't li really believe in the church and that, but we know that we want to support a cause that's basically nonprofit, and, and you know, they'll pick apart certain things that, that the world tells them about. But once they sit down and once we examine the scriptures with them, they say, you know, now that I see the viewpoint of the gospel, as I see the viewpoint of God, I... I'm in agreement with, with what you're, you're sharing. And that's the sympathizing with Christ, as Christ sympathizes with us, that you'll find it's a mind. It's a, it's a gold mine, a strong, strong consolation. They should never forget that they have a, a mighty friend in, in heaven. And just George, Pastor Reverend George Groves, said that he's praying for us now and he wants to thank you for the prayers no cancer found within the interior of his bladder but possibly the exterior of his bladder now and he's going to rochester so keep reverend george groves in your thoughts and prayers and and char is also dealing with cancer also we should never forget that we have a mighty friend friend in heaven and we not only have the friend of the father son and holy spirit in heaven but those countless, countless individuals that were born again and were Christians, you know, such as those who have made decisions for Christ. You know, we think of Lee, and we think of Rabbi, and we think of Ed Waite, and we think of J. Samuel Smith, and we think of many others. We think of was with Mike's dad when he made a decision for Christ, and he's at home with the Lord and, and known, as, known as dad. And, you know, we're, we're all conduits. We're all kind of links you know, we probably would say we're all kind of apps, apps leading um, people to Christ. We're just kind of links, you know, links bringing Christ to those. You know, the Apostle Paul said, you know, he, he um, not all of us, you know, plant the seeds. Some of us plant seeds. Some of us water the seeds and fertilize the seed. And we're, that's why we're all part of this body of Christ. And last Sunday, we learned also that we're ever tempted. Sometimes even Christians will tempt us. 
and you know how God can sometimes use Christians and and we're just fallen human beings and but sometimes you know we have to really seek out you know because people sometimes um, Satan's best will come before God's very best and you need to ask yourself are we tempted by Satan to distrust God's care and and goodness so was Jesus we learned last Sunday so was Jesus Jesus was tempted by Satan to distrust distrust God's care and, and goodness are we ever tempted are we ever tempted to presume on God's mercy and and to run into danger without warrant so was Jesus and are we ever tempted to commit a, a private sin a private sin for this for the sake of some great we see apparent advantage when I went to seminary um, a professor that was gaining in popularity which is really um, dr. Joseph Fletcher he wrote situational ethics and it just exploded and it's encountered infiltrated that many churches today and and that the ultimate end is justified by the means and reinforced the whole concept of um, so-called pro-death or pro-choice I always ask people you know that say oh you know you can't make up a choice for the woman well the woman has already made that choice and and I always ask them do they do they seriously think that that baby is not human isn't a baby human without a choice amen are we ever tempted to commit some private sin for the sake of some great apparent advantage so also was Jesus are they ever tempted to listen to some misapplication of scripture and you can't remind me of many cases where I've seen the misapplication of, of scripture and I basically call you know scripture when we exegese it when we exegese it to try to find the reality of what is actually being said so many people like to use eisegesis eisegesis is kind of what they want to see into it what they want to see into it rather than what God is going to give to us Jesus is just a savior that tempted people like you and I require and we thank thank God that Jesus can walk with us and talk with us and let them let all of us flee to Jesus for help and and spread before Jesus all their troubles they will find that that Jesus's ear the ear of Jesus grab your ear this morning you feel your ear you need to realize that Jesus felt our sorrows and that his ear the ear of Jesus is always ready to hear us and his heart the heart of Jesus is all ready to feel um, and understand our sorrows my heart was kind of heavy this morning when I was talking with Ethel and she's in hospice and we don't know the the days or the hours you know and sometimes we we think you know 100 years the likelihood of just days or hours but sometimes those who are nearing 100 in their 90s man I see them lingering longer than those that are in their 60s and in 70s and I guess you know if you've lived 100 years you know you know it's the fact of um, I knew a couple in my first appointment at Christy Luckman I testified and witnessed to her on her 101st birthday and 
And she says, you know, after living 101 years, I think I'm going to have a few more years to make a decision for Christ. And I said, Christy, you don't know the day or the hour. And she made a decision for Christ. She actually lived to be 106, you know, but uh, she always used to say that those last five years were better than her previous 101 years. And there was a Bertha Wright, you know, and they lived just, they were neighbors in a farm community near Bertha in Hewitt, Minnesota. Bertha Wright lived to be like 103 years old. And she was a Sunday school teacher, and boy, just the effervescent spirit and the testimonies that she shared of 103, five years of life. May we all know the value of this sympathizing Savior by, by experience, by personal experience. And this morning, you know, we, we can think of our loved ones who had testimonies, and that's kind of really what Lent is all about testifying and and that's why you know on Wednesdays Wednesdays we talk about on the prayer of Jabez now Jabez is only mentioned you know once or twice in the Bible and Jabez what was his name why what was he named the way he did class he was born in pain he was born in pain and the prayer of Jabez goes like this bless me bless me O Lord Enlarge my territory, which means expand my outreach to others. Bless me indeed. May the hand of God, may the hand of God be upon me. He says, may no, no sin, sorrow, sickness, or tragedy, or harm, or evil befall me. And that may I have no cause of causing other sin, pain, sorrow, suffering, evil, or harm to those that I encounter. And we've walked with those verses for the last few weeks. And if you want to join us on Wednesdays, you can stay in your homes. And we can have the video, video Zoom set up. Which brings us to our scripture today. Um, we've been basically using the same, same passages of scriptures um, that have been Xeroxed. And there's just a few overlapping verses that we didn't feel we should Xerox to complete another page for, for those. And we thank you for your prayers, and we thank you for your presence with us, and which brings us to Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 and following. Now, we have in these verses here beginning, the very beginnings of our Lord's ministry. Now, there are many highlights that we can all think of in our vocations, in our livelihood probably remember that first week of orientation. I, I cannot help to um, remember I was only 22 years old. I think the bishop thought I was 32 and the district superintendent's 32. I was only 22 years of age when I began my first full-time. It was full-time birthday here at Wrightstown. And that particular week I, I had a wedding and I had a funeral of, for all things, a, a little baby died of suffocation. And in these verses here, we see the beginning of our Lord's ministry among humankind. We see Jesus here, he, he enters into the, um, the dark, among the darkness and the ignorance of people. He chooses, and he chooses um, to be his companions and his disciples. Jesus can confirms his ministry by miracles, which rouse the attention of all of Syria. 
in verse 24. Now, Syria is a very large spatial land. My, my son-in-law has flown over many times in X, F-16. And in Syria here, the modern-day Syria has changed very little to Jesus' time and biblical days and how Jesus drew the multitudes of people to hear him. And a number of points um, today that I would like to cover is point number one is the way Jesus began his work. Um, his, began his work of preaching. And then secondly, how Jesus developed his first doctrine. And, you know, you might be guessing what his first doctrine was. I um, designed my license plate on one of my vehicles. I have the only license plate with the doctrine of Jesus. And then thirdly, that he dealt with the humblest, the humblest of class. And then in closing, how he characterizes the ministry by, by miracles. So the way Jesus began his work was he began it by preaching, by preaching. And I'm not going to elaborate and overlap many of the things that Mike said, but I always kind of prepare, give you much more material and not overlap with what Mike has shared, but but the way Jesus began his work in of preaching, and he designed that by saying preaching. First let us notice the way in which our Lord Lord commenced his mighty work. He he began to preach in verse seventeen. There is no da job many of you realize that I've began my basic work. I had received scholarships to the university in, in pre-med, and that was kind of my calling. I just wanted to help people, just basically help people. Uh, my pre-med, my undergraduate, was basically in, in medicine and pre-med. But I began to believe, as I was basically filled with the Holy Spirit on a kind of a, uh, another occasion during the Jesus Movement, that there's no job that I believe was so honorable as, as that being the preacher of the gospel. And at that time, there were many people that disputed it. My, some of my closest friends and relatives and my parents probably wanted me to go into medicine and some of my relatives and my professors. And it was, I believe, truly of the Lord. So I truly went in to be a physician of the soul and the spirit rather than of the body. And I believe, even to this day, there's no works as the work of human souls and the work of human spirits. It's a job to which the Son of God was not ashamed to do. Some of my greatest friends in college were sons and daughters of the Mayo Clinic, and they kind of just shook my head, you know. Why are you leaving the world of medicine rather to pursue the the path of ministry. And I believe, as I did then, that it's a job to which um, Jesus appointed his 12 apostles, his disciples. And I believe, and I've moved on from kind of a Catholic sense that, that um, and that was basically a Reformation move from, by Martin Luther away from Catholicism because he believed in the priesthood of all believers, which got him excommunicated that all of us are called to be ministers. All of us are called to be pastors. All of us are called 
It's a job to which the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, in his, his old age, especially directs to Timothy. And many of the letters of Timothy is, is giving credit to Paul and the encouragement that Paul had, and then Lois and Eunice and the household of faith that determined the direction that Timothy went in. He charges him with his last breath to preach the word, to be faithful in season and out of season when he felt like it and when he wasn't going to feel it. We don't know the approximate age of Timothy, but he was probably pretty young in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2. And my first pastorate in Wrightstown, we had normally in, in church, started out in church the five or six people, and during the two years that I was there, we had more people in church than populated the town. By the time I had left, we had close to 50 people on a Sunday morning. And you come into Wrightstown and you see population, 27. And on a Sunday morning, there were over 50 people. Preaching is basically principle, which means God has always chosen to use to convert and edify souls. The brightest days of the church have been when those who, who are preaching have been honored. And the darkest days of the church have been those which have been treated as, and those preaching the word has been pre treated as something unimportant. And let us honor the sacraments and public prayers of the church, and let us reverently use them. But let us beware that we do not place them above preaching, above preaching. To give you an example, I, I kind of refer to this because it's kind of humorous somewhat. A number of years ago, um, my grandmother, who was Mamie Stika, was so proud of me as, as a preacher. She'd introduced me as her grandson, the preacher. My grandmother, roommate, roommate was, was Mrs. Johnson. And Mrs. Johnson was a, a person of faith, too. And she introduced um, me to um, Mrs. Johnson. And she says, this is Randy Tabor. This is my, my grandson. He's a preacher. And um, Mrs. Johnson's grandson was a kind of a, at that time, was an aspiring football player. And, you know, Mrs. Johnson said, well, my grandson is only a football player. He's a, his name is Tom Brady. And now I kind of thought, well, there's probably a little discrepancy between the salaries of the preacher and Tom Brady. But what emphasis do we put upon our children? Are our children saved? Are our grandchildren saved? Are they really preachers or are they witnesses of Jesus Christ? Secondly, first we, we found that the way Jesus began his, his work in life was preaching. Secondly, what was Jesus' first doctrine? You remember his first doctrine and discipline of Jesus? That was like kind of his commandment, but one of the first sermons that Jesus gave was, was, um, was his doctrine. Almost before the Mount, before um, Matthew chapter 5. Secondly, let me notice um, the first doctrine which the Lord Jesus proclaimed to the world. 
when Jesus began to preach, and what is repent? Right. That's, I have the only personalized plate in the world that says repent. Repent. In verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4 was read, repent. Now the necessity of repentance is one of the greatest foundation stones which, which lie at the very bottom of Christianity. Jesus said you need to build a firm foundation of faith, and that's the important thing of repentance. It's truth which needs to be pressed on all of us without exception. Whether we be high or whether we be low, whether we be rich or poor, all have sinned. From the pulpit to the pew, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to be saved. In AA, you need to actually hit the bottom before you can make any progress to, towards the top. You need to kind of repent. You need to look at the higher power, which we believe as Christians, to be Jesus. It's a truth which needs to be pressed on all without exception. It is a truth which does not receive the attention it deserves. And it matters not how long you've been on the road or how long you've been a member of a church or how old you've been. I remember our next-door neighbor up in Deer River, Mabel Jones. She says, you know, I've been going to this church for almost 80 years. And what's all this talk about repentance? And she says, I want you to come over and visit me. I'll have coffee and cookies. And I said, no, I don't drink coffee. And she said, I'll have orange juice and cookies when you come back. I said, no, it's, it's time for you to make a true decision for Christ. She made a decision for Christ. And she became such a true believer in Christ and that she just touched so many people in Deer River. And... I um, learned sometimes I'd get up at 2 or 4 in the morning, and she'd call me at 2 or 4 in the morning, is there anything you need? And I said, well, you know, I, there was one particular time that I said I needed some sugar for my cereal, and she says, come on over. It's one of the first times I've made a, a call that's a non-emergency call at 2 or so in the morning. But true repentance is no light matter. It calls for a thorough change about face, a change of showing itself in a godly sorrow for sin, in heartfelt confession of sin, in a complete breaking off from those sinful habits and, and a lasting hatred of all sin. Let us prize, let us prize that doctrine highly. No Christian teaching can be called sound a sound teaching, a sound doctrine, if it does not constantly bring to us the fact of turning to God in repentance and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 21. Turning to God in repentance and having faith in Jesus Christ. So not only do we find that the first premise of Jesus was, was preaching and that the first doctrine was repentance, but thirdly, he came to the humblest of class. Humility. Third, let us notice the class of people 
whom the Lord Jesus chose to be his disciples. They were of the poorest and the humblest rank in life. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all fishermen. Verse 18. The religion of our Lord Jesus Christ was not intended only for the rich and the learned. It was intended for all. All of the world and the majority of all of the world will always be the poor. Poverty and ignorance, poverty and ignorance of books or learning excluded thousands from the notice of the boastful philosophers of the heathen world, the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers of the days. The Epicureans and the Greek scholars, they exclude no one from the richest place in the service of Jesus Christ. Is a person humble? Is a person reachable? Does that person feel their sins? Are they willing to hear Christ's voice and to follow Christ? Some of the most foulest mouthed people I ever met was during the four years I was going to, three or four years I was going to college and worked road construction. And it seemed like so many of the individuals needed to outperform the next in, in the fallest of voices. And I established the name even before I was a preacher. They said, oh, watch your tongue. Preacher man's coming. And I thought, although I was respected for many things, and during the day we'd work out, we always wanted to make sure we uh, were earning a fair wage and I'd come in and I'd run and I'd exercise, I'd work out while they'd go to the liquor stores and places. If so, may it always be the poorest of the poor that we will found, find a, a highness in the, in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize that when they accumulate all the things that the world provides and it never really satisfies. It's just for temporary intellect, money, rank, are worth nothing without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the re religion of Christ must have, have been from heaven, or it could never have prospered. It could never have spread the earth as it has done. It is vain for unbelievers those who may challenge me to attempt to answer this argument. It cannot be answered, the spread of Christianity. A religion which did not flatter the rich, the great, and the learned, a religion which offered no license to the bodily inclinations of the human heart, a religion whose first teachers were very poor, very poor fishermen, Without wealth, without rank, without power, such a religion would never have turned the world upside down as the world of Christianity has done today if it had not been of God. Look at the Roman emperors, look at the heathen priests with their splendid temples on all the one side. Look at the few unlearned working people with the gospel of Jesus Christ on the other were there ever two parties so unequally matched? Yet the weak proved strong, and the strong 
proved weak. Heathenism fell, Christianity took its place, Christianity must have been of God. And then in closing today, we find finally the character of the miracles. Fourth, let us notice the general character of the miracles by which our Lord, Lord confirmed his mission. Here we are told about them in general. Later we shall find many of them described individually. What is their character? They were miracles of mercy. They were miracles of kindness. You can do these miracles too. These miracles of, of mercy and kindness. Our Lord went around doing good according to Acts chapter 10, 38. Say it with me. Mercy and kindness. Mercy and kindness. These miracles are meant to be signs of our Lord's skill as a spiritual a spiritual physician. You and I are called to be spiritual physicians of mercy and kindness. No physical disease was in, incurable by Jesus. He has the power to cure every ailment of the soul. There is no broken heart that Jesus cannot heal. There is no wounded conscience that Jesus cannot cure. Fallen, crushed, bruised, plague-stricken, as we all are by sin. Jesus, by his blood and spirit, can make us whole. Only let us ask Jesus. I witnessed and shared Christ with many a desperate soul in prisons. One gentleman was not used to drinking, and he, he came home. He was only like 17 years old. Got in an argument with his mother and father, shot and killed both his mother father his sister came in shot and killed her also i could go on and on about lives that were restored by jesus christ lives after some 30 years were released and they become solid witness for jesus christ not least these miracles are intended to show us christ's heart the heart of christ that wants to be your heart too jesus is a most compassionate Savior. Jesus rejected no one who came to him. He refused no one, however loathsome and diseased they were. Jesus had an ear to hear all, and he had a hand to help all, and he had a heart to feed all. There is no kindness like this. There is no compassion which never fails. Father, this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, may we all remember that the Lord Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, according to Hebrews chapter 13, 8, that high in heaven at God's right hand, he is not in the least altered. When we th see things, the chaos of the world and things falling apart, basically, Jesus says they're falling into place. Jesus is just as able to save, just as willing to receive, just as ready to help as he was 2,000 years ago. And would we have spread out our needs before Jesus then? Let us do now spread our concerns to Jesus. Jesus can heal every disease and sickness. According to verse 23, with every head bowed and every clock eye closed, 
I'm reminded in Numbers 10, 10 that at your times of rejoicing, your appointed festivals and your new moon feasts, you are to sound the trumpets. The trumpet needs to be sound today. And as I participate in, in many military funerals, taps is a, is a trumpet call, called by the US military at the end of the day as well as at funerals. And I'm always amazed when I read the unofficial lyrics and discover that many of the verses end with the phrase, God is nigh, which means God is near. Whether before the dark of each night settles in as taps is played or while mourning the loss of a loved one, the lyrics off, offer soldiers and the beautiful assurance that God is nigh, God is near. As we come into that spiritual time of the waving of the palm branches, and, and I've heard people criticize Jehob because they've waved, waved branches in the sanctuary or but that, that's biblical, and that's calling upon the presence and acknowledging the presence of God. For in the Old Testament, trumpets were also a reminder to the Israelites that God was nigh, that God was near, that in the middle of celebrating the feasts and the festivals, that they were part of the covenant agreement between God and the nation of Israel, that those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse Israel will be cursed. The Jews were to sound the trumpets, According to Numbers 10.10, 10. blowing a trumpet was a reminder not only of God's presence, but also that God was available when they needed him most, and he longed to help them. Today, O oh Lord, we still need reminders that God is nigh, that God is near. And in our own style of worship, we too can call out to God in prayer and song. And perhaps our prayers can be thought of as trumpets, asking God to help us. And the beautiful encouragement is that God always hears those who call, according to 1 Peter chapter 3.12, to each of our pleas. God responds with the assurance of God's presence that strengthens and comforts us in the difficulties and sorrows of life. When we have our prayers felt like calls for help, how does the reminder that God listens to our prayers encourages us? For Heavenly Father, we thank you that you respond to our calls for help and assure us of your powerful presence and love by those by way of television or by way of YouTube or Facebook or all means of communication. And that basically key to get into the door is repentance. And would you, as we close in prayer, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, help me to repent. Help me to turn directions, to direct my life in your direction, O oh Lord. Forgive my sins of commission and omission. Come into my heart and life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, let us turn to our offertory prayer. And, and as you place gifts in the back offertory plate and those by way of television, we are not a prosperous church. We account for every diamond, nickel, and penny that we spend. And it's getting down to that, folks. We appreciate our ministry. We appreciate your prayers and your presence and your giving. Let us join in the prayer that's printed in our bulletins. God of all, you love us and have claimed us. As you bless Sarah and Abraham, 
you invited us into the blessing of connection within the family of humanity whom you continue to bless. We give our tithes and offerings in celebration of the depths of our blessing and pray that they will strengthen the church across the world to bless all our children. In the holy name of Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, we pray in gratitude. Amen. Would you stand for the doxology, please? God of power and might and wisdom and vision, we, we give you our eternal thanks for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came not only to save but to teach us and preach us about your kingdom and how we might live, readying ourselves for that kingdom. Jesus taught with authority, and if we listen, we will live a life of generosity, mercy, and compassion. Bless what we give this day and help us to be faithful in the use of all our resources that we might live like those anticipating your kingdom in Christ we pray, amen. You can do a thousand and one successful things. But, right, we're going to sing actually happy birthday to Kathy and Mike right now. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mike and Kathy. Happy birthday to you. you. Amen. Let's just turn and wave at the camera because Kathy is, watches us by way of television. We wish you Godspeed. And, and you, you may not be as old as Mike, but I'm sure you, you enjoy those birthdays. Any other announcements that we should be aware of? And be, you know, we thank God for the kindness of of Darwin and Robin, and they make sure that it's clearly covered. You know, and we do one hundred percent. Any other announcements? May the Lord bless you and keep you, and make His face to shine upon you, and be gracious and merciful unto you. Go and bless the food, and we'll get that video started immediately because I think Mike might have went a little bit longer on his sermon this morning. Well, your birthday, you can get by.